Lord God. Lord Jesus, Son of Man, Son of God, enthroned at the right hand of the Father in heaven. We bring you honor and glory today, Lord, in our worship. Holy Spirit, take us into the throne room. We come by the blood of the Lamb, by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, be magnified, be exalted, and open our hearts and minds today, Lord. We don't come here out of tradition or, or ritual or religion, but we come to encounter you, the true and living God. Holy Spirit, have your way as we open your word now and be magnified, be exalted in our midst. And Lord, let us leave here saying, wow, God is good and God is amazing. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. You may have a seat. Great to see everyone this morning. Here at Calvary Chapel, uh, last Sunday, we, we began our exposition of the book of Revelation. So if you come here on Sunday mornings, probably for the next four to six months, we're going verse by verse through the book of Revelation. We're studying this book, this amazing last book of the Bible to um, see our risen and exalted Savior and the plans for the end of the age. And then if you come out on Wednesday night, I'm doing an eight-week uh, study on the Holy Spirit. Last week, we looked at the doctrine of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit's deity, and then we also looked at um, the Holy Spirit's personality. This coming up Wednesday, we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit's work in the world. What's, what's he doing in the world today? And what does the Bible say he's doing? But uh, again, if, you're, uh, if you aren't with us last Sunday and you didn't get one of these, we're giving everyone for our verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation a bookmark and a prophecy chart that lays out this book of Revelation. How many of you guys have a picture of Jesus in your home? How many of you guys have a picture of Jesus in our home? Many people do. We all have pictures of Jesus in our home. You know, the long brown hair, the Southern California tan, the kind of surfer hippie look. You know, I just want to go on the record as your pastor and say, I do not like pictures of Jesus. In my opinion, they're all wimpy and pathetic. I don't care if you're Leonardo da Vinci, if you're Rembrandt, if you're James Cameron, or if you're Mel Gibson. There's no artist or director that can capture the magnitude and greatness of our exalted Lord and Savior. And by the way, if you pray to Jesus with one of those images in your mind, you're breaking the second commandment, which states you shall not create a graven image of who God is. You want to know what it's like to look at Jesus in the face? I can tell you by the authority of Scripture from Revelation chapter 1 we're going to look at this morning. If you want to know right now, this pastor can tell you what it's like to look into the face of Jesus. When you leave here after service, before you get to lunch, stop in the parking lot, look up at the sun, and just stare at the sun, even though you won't be able to stare very long, because Revelation chapter 1 says, his face shone like the sun. Now, when you look at the sun, <clears throat> you're not actually looking at the sun. You actually are looking at the rays coming off the sun. That's what your eyes are seeing. But that's what it would be like to see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face in his glorified state. It would be unimaginable, this bright, unapproachable light in all his glory. 
I appreciate these renditions and these pictures of Jesus and, and all that stuff, but there were no cameras back in the first century. There were no selfies. There was none of that stuff in the first century. We don't know exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ looks like, and it's supposed to be that way because the second commandment says, you shall not create a graven image. But thankfully, praise the Lord, God in his word and his sovereignty through John the apostle in the first chapter of Revelation, he gives us a detailed description of the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, I'm going to mess some of you guys up. You're going to have to go by Ollie's after, after service and get you some white magic markers because when I get done with you this morning, you're going to go home and you're going to fix those pictures with the white magic marker or the chalk because uh, this is who the Lord Jesus Christ looks at. So this morning we're looking at his physical description. The title of my message this morning is The Vision of the Son of Man, and I will be teaching verse by verse, Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, as we look at it now, open our hearts. Let us see this amazing truth that you're presenting to us in the second half of Revelation chapter 1. Let us, let us see what's going on, and let us see this amazing vision that you gave John on the island of Patmos, uh, the, the vision of, of your exalted state. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. In your mighty and awesome name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, guys, Revelation chapter 1, picking it up at verse 9 this morning. It says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So <clears throat> context, what's taking place as this is being written? John is on the island of Patmos because of his Christian faith. He is experiencing severe tribulation because he refused to bow to the ungodly culture of the first century. His allegiance was not to Rome, but his allegiance was to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Domitian, because John would not bow, has John banished, sent to Alcatraz. That's what Patmos was in the first century. Patmos in the first century, this island in the Aegean Sea off the coast of Greece was the first century Alcatraz for Roman political prisoners. And there's three things the believers were experiencing in the first century, including John himself. They were experiencing, according to verse 9, they were experiencing tribulation, kingdom, and perseverance. Look at it. He says, uh, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker. I just got to stop right there because I just got to bring this up. Notice how he says in verse 9, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker. This was John the apostle. This was John that wrote five New Testament books. This was John who was there at, at, the, at the Last Supper, okay? People throughout church history have exalted John. He's a saint. But what does John call himself in that verse? Your brother. John's like, don't, don't lift me up. Don't exalt me. He was the pastor at Ephesus prior to being moved to Patmos. But he says, don't exalt me. Don't lift me up. I am your brother. That's how we are in the church. That's how we are in the body of Christ. We are family. Okay, don't lift Pastor David up. 
Don't lift up no leader here at Calvary Chapel. Family, we're all in this together, okay? No, no matter where you're at, don't lift up leaders. We're all in this together. You know, as Christians, as pastors, we're servants. We're, matter of fact, we're at the bottom of the ship, Paul says in Corinthians. We, we are under roars. We are, we are the ones ministering to the body. So don't lift us up. Don't lift up ministers. But he says they're, uh, they're fellow partakers in tribulation, kingdom, and perseverance. What is tribulation? Tribulations are trials, are difficulties, are persecutions. This is why John is on the island of Patmos. He would not bow to Domitian, the Roman Caesar, because in that day, the Roman Caesars were considered gods. They were deity, and they were expected to be worshipped. But when Christianity came along, uh, no longer was Caesar Lord, but Jesus is Lord. You know, we talked about Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. That was a death sentence in the first century to, to defy Caesar. And John's having no part of it. For, for, John, for John, there was only one Lord, and his name was the Lord Jesus Christ. The application for you and me, our, as a Christian, our ultimate allegiance in this life is to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his word. And we do not bow to anyone, any political, government, people, society, way of thinking, or anything. Jesus Christ, Christian, is who your ultimate allegiance should be to and to his word. And by the way, you can't separate those. If you're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be committed to his word. If you're committed to his word, you'll be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, but they were experiencing tribulation, experiencing difficulty because their allegiance was to Christ. Secondly, he says there in verse nine, uh, partakers in the kingdom. You know, in the midst of the, in the midst of the tribulation, we can experience the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Okay, we are, are what takes place inside of our hearts and inside of our lives is not dependent on what takes place in this world because our firm foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our firm foundation is the gospel. Our our, our and our and our. Our emotions, our joy, our well-being, what takes place on the inside comes from being under the dynamic rule and reign of God in our life. It's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy. Is he ruling and reigning in your life this morning? Is Christ ruling and reigning? Amen. Let him rule and reign. Don't let your life, don't build your life on the principles of this world. Build your life on the principles of God. Be yielded to the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and let his righteousness, let his peace, and let his joy rule and reign in your heart. That's what the kingdom is. And the third one there in verse 9, it says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in perseverance. Perseverance. Some of your translations say uh, patience or endurance. But um, we are called to be patient. We're called to endure. We're called to endure to the end. We're called to uh, stay the course. You know, we're in this thing. My hope and prayer, Christian, is that you're in this thing to the end. You're like, Lord Jesus, come hell or high water. Come, no matter what happens in this life, I want to serve you to the day I step into eternity. Um, 
staying faithful to God. And how do we persevere? How do we stay the course? By doing what we're doing this morning, abiding in the word, worshiping him in spirit and truth as we were doing during worship. And then that's when we're giving him all the praise, giving him all the glory. And now, right now, as we're studying the word, we are hearing from heaven as we studied the word. This is how we persevere. We obey and we follow the word. Psalms 119.105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let's continue verse 10. Verse 10 of chapter 1, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard, beh- I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. Now, this is an interesting phrase that we come to in verse 10, where he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. When we get to certain passages in Revelation, I'm going to let you know the different views, the different thoughts of what people say about this verse. But in verse 10 where it says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, there's two main views to what John is talking about. The first view is some people believe that John was taken in the spirit into the future so that he could be shown what would take place. And that's what he's referring to. I don't necessarily see that view because we already know in Revelation chapter four, verse one, that God says to him, come up here and I'll show you what must soon take place. So it seemed like in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 that that's where John is caught up to be given a vision of the future. What I believe he's talking about here is Sunday. He's talking about the Lord's Day. Okay? Now think about this. Context, history, what's taking place. John was a pastor, teacher, minister there at Ephesus serving the Lord and He gets banished. He gets removed from his body, and he gets taken to the island of Patmos. If anybody had an excuse not to worship on the Lord's day, John would have had a good excuse. But what does he say there? On the Lord's day, Sunday, on this island of Patmos, in this political prison, on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. I was worshiping. You know, there's something special about Sunday, okay? Okay? It's true, we are no longer under the Sabbath law uh, of the Old Testament. But there is no doubt, Sunday is the Lord's day. It is the day of the week that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And it is the day that Christians for 2,000 years have gathered for fellowship, worship, and the word. You and I, family, should prioritize church on Sunday Everything on our weekend schedule should take a back seat to church. Our kids' sports, going on the lake, getting caught up on work, sleeping in, taking care of other things. While they are important, what takes place on Sunday morning, man, this is your food. This is your your heart. This is your soul. This is your eternity. This is where, man, we come to church on Sundays to get recalibrated in the Word of God. That's so important. You know, I want to give you, John here is, now this is a special event. I don't, this doesn't happen on a regular basis. And it was why he was worshiping in the spirit on the Lord's day that he has this revelation. But it's very important, family, that you, when you and I come to church on Sunday mornings, that we are in the spirit. I want to give you some practical ways for you to make Sunday more spiritual. Sunday is not just a regular day. The world's trying to make it a regular day, but it will always be 
the Lord's day, Jesus' day, the day that Jesus rose from the grave. So number one, the first way you can make Sunday more spiritual is pray and listen to Christian worship music as you get ready for Sunday morning. I, I, every, almost every single Sunday, I wake up, my wife gets up ahead of me, and every single Sunday morning, I wake up to hearing her iPhone playing praise and worship. That's the first thing she does. As we're getting dressed and getting in and out of the showers, we got worship music playing throughout the house so we can get our minds and get our hearts calibrated to come in here and get everything we can out of church. So pray, listen to worship music before church. Don't wait till you get to church to hear it. Uh, when you get up on Sunday mornings, don't fill your head with junk, i.e. social media, internet, and TV. It can wait. Check your likes and check your social media accounts once you get home from church. But on Sunday morning, don't fill your head with social media and TV because what will happen, it will dominate our thoughts and we'll want to come to church and talk about it. Don't worry. It will be there when you get home from church. But let's, before church, prepare our hearts and prepare our minds. And most importantly, the most practical way to make church more spiritual is, is make the most of church. How do you make the most of coming to church? One, get here a little early. Get here a little early and encourage a brother or sister. Come in here and shake hands or elbow or fist pump or whatever, but come to church and, 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 and come in here and say, who can I encourage today? Okay? A lot of people come to church because they need encouragement. They need hope. They need someone to lift them up. Let's, man, when, when we come to church on Sunday mornings, let's encourage each other. And you may be the one that needs encouragement. And family, we need to encourage one another. Let's get, the, let's get, let's get all the bang for the buck, man. Let's, let's get everything we can out of this hour and 15 minute, hour and a half time that we spend here at church. Secondly, sing, sing. This is not a show, okay? This is not a concert. This is not a show. We're not here to entertain you guys. Kevin and the worship team, they're, they're here to lead you into the presence of God and to worship. So don't be like, ooh, wow. Ah, we want the place to look nice. And we want it to look very, uh, we want to set the tone, set the environment. But understand that the sing, sing during praise and worship. Guys, by the way, that last song, when I came up here and I was like, man, let's sing that again. You guys sounded beautiful. You guys sounded magnificent. It sounded like a heavenly choir in here. So how do you get the most out of church, making church more spiritual? Sing. Thirdly, turn off your devices. Turn off your devices. You know, when you're in the parking lot, you know, if you need to send a text or a phone call or whatever, um, do that. Or if you need to um, share our Facebook um, service, share it real quick so the word can get out about Calvary Chapel. But then after that, cut your device off. And let's focus on fellowship and focus on each other. And finally, do what we love to do at Calvary Chapel. That's take notes. Take notes, man. Man, get into the word, man. Bring your pen, bring your marker, bring your notebook. And as we study it verse by verse, take notes so that later on you can go back and reflect. Later you can go back and reflect on the word. Let's make the most of Sunday. We're, we're going we're gonna to give it our all here to minister to you, minister to you guys, spiritually, physically, emotionally, and exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. What we want Calvary Chapel to be, it's a watering hole. That's what this is. It, for, if you go to any city and you want to go to a Calvary Chapel, there's one thing you're gonna be sure of. They're gonna teach the Bible. They're gonna 
exposition of Scripture, verse by verse. And, and so be encouraged and come and grow and be spiritual. Let's continue. Verse 11. Uh, verse 11 says, uh, oh, i got to go back to verse 10 for a second. Sorry. But behind me, a loud voice with the sound of a trumpet. The Lord Jesus Christ. Man, when he speaks, we listen. His voice is like a trumpet. It's like calling the troops to attention. Later on in this passage, in about five or six verses, he's going to talk about his, his voice is like, like living waters, like Niagara Falls. But there's something special about the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that it's like a trumpet. And his word quickens our heart. It quickens our soul. And, and it's like a trumpet. It's like living waters. We need to hear God's voice through the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, and one day face to face. Now let's go to verse 11. He says here, uh, saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I find this interesting. If you look at these churches there, there in Asia Minor, they form a circle. They, they form a circle. And what it was is this letter was to be passed on, and it, and it was to first go to Ephesus, then to Smyrna, and it was to be passed around. This is how we got the book of Revelation. How cool is that? This has given us a little history of how the book of Revelation, it was written on the island of Patmos. It was delivered to the church of Ephesus. It was circulated to the seven churches. And from there, it became a, a part of the canon of Scripture. And this is how we have it today. I find it interesting because Jesus could. He could have sent individual prophets to speak to the seven churches. But what does the opening statement of Jesus say in verse 11? Jesus tells John, write in a book. That's very important. Write in a book. And what is written in a book is that book that each and every one of you guys have on your lap. 66 books, 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses, 807,361 words written to us for our exhortation to hear from God, to know God. Get to know this book. And when you get to know this book, you will get to know the author greater and deeper. And you'll love him more, you'll trust him more, and you'll obey him more. By the way, what's the center verse in the book, in the Bible? Anybody know? What's that? Yes, very good. We have a winner. Psalms, Psalm, excuse me, Psalm, Psalm 118, verse 8. And it says this, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. I think God divinely put that there in his word. This book is like a treasure. It's like a treasure. I've been studying it for 30 years. I've been a Christian now for 30 years. And I've been studying it for 30 years, and it never gets old. And the more I study it, the more I discover it's an amazing book to study because he, John, wrote a book as well as the other authors did. Let's continue, verse 12. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. What was our um, rules of interpretation we talked about last week? When we're in the book of Revelation, and we, and we come across a phrase, we're not sure what it is, what's our rules of, of uh, interpretation? I call it rules of engagement. Context and commentary. 
What do the verses say around it? Do the verses around us give us the definition? Or does the com- a commentary give us a definition? And the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Thankfully, if you look down at verse 20, he tells us what the seven golden lampstands are. Look down at verse 20. He says, uh, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So you have these seven lampstands there in heaven. They may be in a circle. They may be in a straight line. We're not 100% sure. But you have one. You have the, the Lord Jesus Christ standing there amongst these seven lampstands. Look at verse 13. He says in verse 13, In the middle of the lampstands, I saw one, like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, girded across his chest with a golden sash. So he says, one like the Son of Man. There's this person. There's this figure. You know, John, maybe he's not quite sure who it is, but he's looking closely to figure out who it is as as he's writing this down. And we know from the rest of the text that this person talked about in verse 13 as a picture, as a picture of the glorified Son of Man standing in the middle of the lampstands. You know what this is? This is a picture of Jesus in heaven overseeing his church, overseeing the body of Christ. You see, Jesus is the head of the church. The Pope is not the head of the church. The pastor is not the head of the church. The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the body of Christ. He And he alone, by his Holy Spirit, is the one that rules and reigns and governs the body of Christ. It's him ruling and reigning in heaven that oversees the church. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, he is the, talking about Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Jesus Christ is the head of the body. And one of the signs that a church is filled with the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit's at work, we're talking about this on Wednesday nights. We're going to talk about everything from the Trinity to the gifts of the Spirit. But one of the signs is that the, the church magnifies the Lord Jesus Christ, that it makes Jesus preeminent in everything. That's how you can know that the Spirit is at work within the body. Is there's, this, there's this overwhelming love and compassion not for our name or my name or things we're doing, but an overwhelming passion to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's there, he's clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, girded across his feet with a golden sash. This is like a a golden regalia, man. This is royalty. This is like the king of kings, the Lord of lords in heaven. He's clothed and arrayed in majesty, by his clothing. Let's, let's get into the description. Let's get into the description. I'm going me- to mess your pictures up at home. You're going to be coloring them right- white when I get done with you. It says in verse 14, look at verse 14. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like, like snow. Jesus is not an Eskimo living in the North Pole. This is not the gray hair of an old man. This, uh, 
white like white wool like snow is actually a picture of his holiness. The Lord Jesus Christ is holy. He's without sin. He's pure. He's perfect. He's exalted. And also, if you know the Old Testament, you, you might be recognizing, you might be hearing some common language here. Do you recognize this language he's using in Revelation chapter 1? This is the exact same language that Daniel uses to describe the Lord. We talked about this last week. There are 404 verses in the book of Revelation. There are 278 references um, to, the, to the Old Testament. And here we have a picture, the same picture that Daniel had in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 verse 9 says, I kept looking until the thrones were set and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And here it is. His vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. This is simply a picture of the purity and the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, not only did he die to forgive you of your sins and to, to, to give you new life, but he died on the cross so that you could be born again so the Holy Spirit could come and dwell inside of you and so he could set up you apart and make you holy, okay? That's separating from sin. Think about, you know, we talk about being spirit-filled and we, we love that phrase and we teach it here and we talk about being yielded to the Spirit. But what do we call the Spirit? The Holy Spirit. Because one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to sanctify us, to set us apart. That word sanctification being holy, it just simply means growing in your faith. You know, nobody's perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. The mailman's not perfect. No Christian is perfect. But we're all growing. We're all moving forward. And that's what the Spirit does. He grows us into holiness. And then look at, continues in verse 14. We're going we're gonna to sit here for a little bit. Well, the second half of verse 14, he says, And his eyes were like a flame of fire. If you've studied the book of Revelation, you might recognize this phrase. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 6, it says, His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire. So the Lord Jesus Christ, his eyes are not this meek and mild and, and gentle Jesus giving you a nice little pretty smile. But his eyes are like torches of fire, Daniel says. And John says here in Revelation, they're like flames of fire. You see, family, Jesus sees through us, okay? That can be a good thing and that can be a scary thing. But Jesus sees through us to the core of our being. His eyes see through our facade. He sees the thoughts and intents of our heart. I can't see what's inside Maurice. Maurice can't see what's inside of me, but Jesus can. The Lord Jesus Christ can. His eyes can. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 26, it says, For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You know what? As a, as a Christian, as a believer, I don't care what other people think. 
I care what Christ thinks. He sees my heart. We see each other on the outside, and that's important, you know, don't get me wrong. We want to present a good image, but ultimately we need to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ sees what others don't see. That's why we need to be open and honest with him and ask him to help us in those areas of our life that we struggle because he sees it. And what does he do? What does he do with those areas of our life that we struggle with sin and and disobedience that we wrestle with the flesh? What does he do? Because his eyes see it. What what does he offer us? He offers you grace. He offers you grace. He offers you the Holy Spirit to come in and help you grow in that area. He knows your weaknesses better than you do. And all he, all he says to us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all our sins. And then he comes alongside and he doesn't condemn us, but he comes alongside to help us grow. Let's be honest with Christ. Let's be honest with the Lord and let him grow us in our life. You can fool me. You can fool your family. You can fool your friends, but you cannot fool Christ. And once we understand this, how great and how magnificent Christ is, the fear of man goes away. The fear of man goes away. I'm not going to stand before none of you on judgment day. You're not going to stand before me. You're going to stand before Christ. I'm going to stand before Christ. And and so we live to, to please Christ who sees us in truth. Let's be real, man. A brother comes to me and says, hey, man, I'm struggling, man. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm struggling with, you name the sin. There's a thousand sins out there. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put my arm around him. And I'm going to say, hey, man, let, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let me, let me pray for you. Let me put my arm around you. Let me help you. Let me hold you accountable. You know, come join our Bible study. Come join our prayer group. Come get some accountability. Come get some fellowship. Come get in the word. Come get in prayer. And let's, let's, let's let the Holy Spirit Let's let the Lord come alongside you and help you. You know, we're all wretched sinners saved by grace. We're all on this journey together to serve the Lord. Amen? All right, I think we're at verse 15. Yes, we're at verse 15. He says, whew, his feet, talking about Jesus. John says his feet were like what? Burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in the furnace. Okay, Bronze. What is bronze? Bronze is an alloy metal. It's made when copper and tin are melted together. And what happens is the bronze becomes super strong. It becomes a super strong metal and it's unbendable. It's solid and it shines like gold. Remember the Bronze Age we talk about in ancient history? The Bronze Age was called the Bronze Age because once they created bronze, it was the strongest form of steel made for structures in its era, okay? Now, today we have something stronger than bronze, which is steel. But when this was written in this age, in this time, bronze was the strongest uh, metal that could be made for structures. So what does this tell us about Jesus? He has a firm foundation, and he cannot be moved. This speaks of the stability and the foundation 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is unmovable. Jesus is the solid rock. That's why you can build your life upon him. That's why why coming to church is important. That's why reading your Bible is important. That's why praying is important. Because you're building your life on the one who is immovable, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Psalm chapter 18, verse 2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my Savior and my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and my horn and my salvation. He is my stronghold. He is the only thing in the existence of the universe that does not change. Everything else is subject to the laws, the second law of thermodynamics, and to entropy. There's only one thing that lasts, and that's what is eternal, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, love him more. Follow him more. Uh, Commit your life to him. Let your life be centered around this unmovable person. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus said in the Gospels, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Family, the universe and everything and all there is, it will crumble. It will crumble before one dot or one diddle of the scripture uh, is, is broken because it's his kingdom. And then it continues in verse 15. And it was made to glow in a furnace. That could, you know, some, that could be a reference to his holiness and to judgment. You know, Christ stands in all of his holiness and, and all of his glory, and he will judge the earth one day. You know, for Christians, what, do we, what will we stand before? It's called the Bema Seat. The Bema Seat of Christ. Our salvation was judged at Calvary, okay? You know, it will be an evaluation of our life. What did we do with the gifts and talents? It's not a judgment of salvation. The, the judgment of salvation is the great white throne of judgment where unbelievers will stand before. But you and I, our salvation was judged at Calvary and we were forgiven. But he will stand in judgment. He will be the one, as we'll see in verse 18, where he talks about, I have the keys of death and Hades. But then he continues in verse 15, his voice, like the sound of many waters. Man, anybody been, ever been to Niagara Falls? I have. And it's just something soothing about hearing that roaring, rushing water going over the edge. It's just soothing. It's relaxing. It's, a, it's encouraging. It's comfort. It drowns out all the noise around you. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ's voice is. When you listen to his voice, when you listen to his word, it's like the roar of Niagara Falls. And it, it fills our hearts. It fills our lives. A while ago, we talked about his, there's many figures of speech that John uses in this book. But earlier, it was a trumpet. He calls us to attention. Here, it's like the many waters. This speaks of the majesty of his voice and the awesomeness of his voice. Let's continue. Verse 16. Verse 16, he says, uh, in his right hand, he held seven stars. Okay, here's another one. How do we interpret this? What was our rules of engagement? It's context and commentary. Does something in the immediate text tell us what these seven stars, or is there somewhere else in the Bible, the commentary? Well, fortunately, praise the Lord, look down at verse 20. Verse 20, it says, um, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So that's the word the scripture tells us what the seven stars are. They are the angels of the seven churches. But 
there is a challenge here I got to make you aware of in the text. Uh, because in the Greek, the word for angels used in verse 16 is angelos. Angelos, that's the Greek word that's used here. And in some places in the Bible, the scripture interprets it as either angels or messengers. It's translated uh, messengers in Luke chapter 7, verse 24, Luke chapter 9, verse 52, and in James 2.25. So which one is it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It could be translated either way. It could be translated that these are angels, or it could be translated that these are the pastors, these are the leaders, these are the shepherds. What's really cool about this is if you translate it either way, if it's angels, what does that mean? In the heavenly realm right now, there are angels in our midst. How cool is that? In the supernatural realm, there are angels. Jesus talked about angels watching over children. There's, there's angels, messengers. So it could be angels, but also it could be pastors. It could be messengers. That's what Pastor David is. That's what all pastors are. They are messengers with a message to the church that teach the church the word of God. And what's really cool about that, I like to think about in this text as being a pastor, is that he says that the seven stars are in his right hand. What does that say about me? That encourages me, family. That melts my heart. There's no pride. I just want to fall on my face. That means that I'm in the right hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's that's mind-blowing. That melts my heart to think, man, I got a huge responsibility. You know what? I'm not here to represent you. I'm here to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm like, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to share with the body of Christ? There's these, what they call the pastoral epistles. You want to know the job description of a pastor? Go read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. We call those the pastoral epistles. And God has said in his word, what the job of a pastor is. Job description for a pastor, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And he says, preach the word. In season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, train, so that the people of God will be thoroughly equipped. You know, so it could be, that it could be pastors, it could be leaders, you know, um, shepherds, those who teach and minister. You know, we need to be faithful to him who's holding us in his right hand. Or maybe it's angels. In that case, which I believe both. You know, I hold to both. I believe both of them. There's angels in our midst. There's supernatural angels. Have you ever seen an angel? I haven't. But they're still there. They're still there. Wow, that's amazing. I, I, I'm blown away to think that there are angels in our midst. And to think that pastors are held in the right hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to verse 16. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Let's continue. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. This is coming out of the mouth of the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. Does that language sound familiar? Anybody ever heard of uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two double-edged sword. So the word of God is coming forth from the mouth of Christ. Well, if the word of God is coming forth from the mouth of Christ, what should come forth 
through, 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 through the church and through the mouth of leaders, the word of God. You know, we are cooperating with the Holy Spirit when we teach the Bible. And here it is, guys. What is it, what is it like to look at Jesus face to face? Look at verse 16. And his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. If you want to know, as I mentioned, I've already kind of let the cat out of the bag in my opening statement. If you want to know what it's like to look at Jesus face to face, when you leave here this afternoon, get halfway out to the parking lot, and hopefully the clouds aren't covering it up, but just start staring at the sun and see that bright light, which you probably won't be able to look at, but for a second, that's what it's like to look into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're not seeing his face, but you're seeing the glory coming off his face. Like in the same way that when you look at the sun, you're not seeing the sun. You're actually seeing the, the rays coming off the sun. The rays keep you from seeing the sun itself. It's the same way in all his glory. This, this Shekinah glory, this magnificent, glorious light that was there in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, that was there in the temple, this, this Shekinah glory will be what it's like when you see the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 21 and 22, uh, the theme of those two chapters is Jesus, the glory of heaven. He illuminates the new Jerusalem, the third heaven, the holy city, with his Shekinah glory, this glorious light that's going to be amazing. I can't wait to see it one day. Verse 17 Verse 17, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. John is struck. He is struck in utter amazement at the Lord Jesus Christ in his glorified state. This is a very common reaction to seeing Jesus, by the way. This is a very common reaction to seeing Jesus. God. Every time someone encounters the Lord or an angelic messenger, they are struck in awe as they, and they fall on their face. Just ask Daniel. Go back and look at Daniel chapter 8, verse 17. Similar response. Isaiah chapter 6, when he saw the holiness of God, similar response. Ezekiel chapter 1, similar response. Ezekiel chapter 3, similar response. Joshua chapter 5, verse 14, similar response. There's this, there's this awe, there's this utter amazement at the, the physical presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. They fall on their face. I've never experienced an angelic encounter, have you? But when we do experience it, maybe some of you have. I've heard of people having encounters, and I believe people have encounters, but I haven't. But I can't imagine what it's going to be like that day. But I'm going to fall on his face. Whoa! This is God! This is Jesus! And all we can do is fall on our face in utter amazement and awe at his glorious, beautiful, holy splendor. If you hear someone say, we hear, you know, TV and, and, and other places, if you hear someone say, that they died, they went to heaven, and they came back. If their description does not match John's right here in the text, 
I would ignore it. I would ignore it. I mean, I actually heard, I heard, I heard, a, I heard someone say one time, I'm not going to say no names, but I heard someone say one time that they had an out-of-body experience and they had a pillow fight with Jesus. They said that they had an out-of-body experience and, and them and Jesus were just having a pillow fight. And he was smacking Jesus upside the head. And Jesus was smacking him upside the head. And feathers were flying everywhere. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. That, that, that is not biblical. Okay? I'm just, I'm just calling it like I see it according to Scripture. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. John, in verse 17, look at it for yourself. Because he's going to allude to it at the end of verse 17. John is scared family. Just just present it to you. John is scared and he's overwhelmed uh, by the presence of God and the holiness. Look at halfway through verse 17. He says, and he placed his right hand on me. Man, when I read that, you know, we're going to be all struck at the presence of God, but I love that. The Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to understand that you're all struck and that I'm all struck. But then what's he going to do? He's going to take his right hand and he's going to put it on your shoulder and say, I am the Lord God Almighty. It's like a, a, a word of encouragement. He knows we're going to be all struck. But it says he's going to place his right hand on me. And what does he say? Look at it. Think about the definitions of these words. Do not be afraid. This is your reward. Eternity in heaven, spending a glory, spending all this time with me. Jesus says, Do not be afraid, John. I am the first and the last. The Lord Jesus Christ is the first and the last. He is the one that rules and reigns in our hearts from the moment we receive him to the day we step into eternity. Verse 18, he says, And the living one, Jesus is the living one. He will never experience death. After his bodily resurrection early on that Sunday morning, the scripture says, if you're with us last Sunday, we saw it. uh, He was the first fruits. He was the first to receive an, an, an immortal, eternal body as he went to heaven. But he is living. He will never die. He says, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And look at that key phrase at the end of verse 18. He says, and I have the keys of death and Hades. What does that statement say about Jesus? What is that, what is that statement, I have the keys of death and Hades? You know what that speaks of? That speaks of Jesus' sovereignty. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He alone, the Lord Jesus Christ, controls the eternal destiny of all men. He says, I have the keys of death and Hades. He controls the door. He controls the key. He controls who comes in and who comes out. If someone goes to heaven at death, it's because Jesus let them in. If someone goes to hell, it's because Jesus sent them there. Jesus, verse 18 I have the keys of death and Hades. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. And if you're trusting in him, he holds the key. Okay? And if you're trusting in him, you will spend eternity in heaven. Because he controls the keys. He is the sovereign Lord. 
Then he wraps it up in verse 19 and 20. In verse 19 and 20, we're just going to read through because verse 20 was just actually John's explanation of, of, of what the um, seven stars and the seven lampstands were. So I hope you're taking notes as we go through this study of Revelation and understanding what all these pictures are. The lampstands, what were the lampstands? The churches, that's what the text says. The lampstands were the churches. What were the stars? They're either, the, the stars uh, are, 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 are angels, but we understand that word angels in the Greek is the word angelos, and it's actually translated two different ways in the New Testament. In some places it's said it's messenger, and um, the other one is, is angels. So there, there's, some, there's some different views there, and we'll, we're cool with that. So here we go, verse 19 and 20, as we wrap up Revelation chapter 1 this morning. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things that which are, and the things that which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, here it is. The seven stars are the angels, the angelos, the messengers, or angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so here we are, week two, we finished Revelation chapter one. What is the application? What is the application for Revelation chapter one, verses nine through 20? That the application is this. There, needs to, there, there should be a sense of awe and wonder at Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we've studied his appearance in this vision there needs to be a sense of awe and wonder at the name above all names, the Lord Jesus Christ. We should stand in awe. It should grab our hearts. That's what I'm hoping the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart this morning. He's gripping your heart, and he's saying, wow, Jesus is truly amazing. And I stand in awe of him. There should be a holy reverence. There should be a holy reverence in serving Christ and serving the Lord Jesus there should be a desire that's being birthed in your heart, that's being birthed in your soul, that's being birthed in your spirit that says, man, this Jesus is so magnificent and so awesome that I, I want to obey him. I want to obey him. There should be a holy reverence that causes us, in, in light of who Jesus is, it causes us to run from sin, to flee from darkness, and to walk in the light that's the application for the second half of this passage. And ultimately, the, 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 the third application is that the Holy Spirit gives us a heart of worship towards the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what it was like on that island? If you're joining us, for the, if you weren't with us last Sunday, the picture Everybody, people asking me, man, what's up with that picture, Pastor David? What's up with that background? That's uh, my friend Noah made this picture. And that little guy on the left is John on the island of Patmos. And that angel is the one. This, this, this picture right here is a perfect description of what you see in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. But can you imagine what it was like for John on the island of Patmos to be this political prisoner, to be in chain? to be suffering through tribulation, trials, and persecution, to receive this vision. 
I imagine it just lifted his soul. It just lifted his spirit. It gave him this triumph. It should give you and I that same triumph that, that I'm going to serve the risen Christ. I'm going to live for the King of Kings. I'm going to live for the Alpha and the Omega. We're, we're leaving long faced religion behind, okay? We're leaving tradition behind. We're leave, leaving denominationalism behind. We're Christians who love the Lord and love his word. And my goal as a pastor is to help you fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the study this morning of Revelation chapter 1. Lord, we finished this chapter, and we thank you for all the rich truth that is there in this amazing book. Father, I'm excited I feel your spirit moving in our hearts based on all the feedback I'm getting back from people who are excited for this first five-verse study through the book of Revelation. Lord, ignite us, ignite our hearts, ignite our, our passion for you. Holy Spirit, light the flame. And Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for this magnificent vision. Lord, all the, the religious art and Hollywood's depictions of Jesus, help us to flush those out of our mind. Help us to flush them down the toilet and help us, Lord, to embrace who you are according to Revelation chapter one, the glorified son of man. Bring application to our hearts. Bring encouragement. And Father, for those, it's been a tough week with COVID and all the other crazy going around. Give us peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Help us to be an encouragement this week to our friends, our neighbors, our relatives. Help us to shine your light, your love, and your truth to those around us. For we love you and we praise you. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.